Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Some refreshing energy on this dreary morning, right? I mean, this, it was rough getting out of bed this morning. Unless you were, I, was, I think I was awakened by some, some thunder at one point and a child that was crying. So, you know, there's always that added mix in, in the weather. Um, so yeah, my name is Liz. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life, and I'm glad that you are here and you got out of your cozy bed this morning. Um, it's a little bright, sunshiny spot in here compared to out there, you know. Um, so we've been uh, walking through this series of encounters, and I've really, I've really enjoyed it personally, just kind of like taking a deeper look at these these stories um, with Jesus and as he in, encounters individuals and groups of people, people that are seeking him, people that are unsure about him. Um, and we can really receive a lot of great insight on, on who God is from Jesus being uh, in flesh on earth, showing us who the Father is, what he's like. And what his mission is, that his mission is to bring heaven to earth. Um, and so we get to see these encounters. We get to see that they're all rooted in God's love for his people, right? He's, he's made his home among us in Jesus. And we, we are drawn to Jesus. We are drawn to his life and his love for us. We are drawn to what he offers us and saving us and and healing us. And so <clears throat> I'm excited to dive into to two more stories uh, this morning. You know, Jesus, he is here to bring heaven to earth. And these stories show us that God, God cares about our pain. He cares about our circumstances. And he is working to bring about his kingdom in, in finality, right? When the kingdom comes in full, Evil and pain will be eradicated forever. So these stories are snippets of, of God's kingdom breaking in. But in the future, Revelation, it, it tells us that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So these encounters where God is breaking in and making things new give us hope. They give us hope for God touching our own lives, for healing things in our own lives. And so we know that sometimes we see the breakthrough and sometimes we don't, and we ache and we long for this finality when it's said and done forever. But in the, in the meantime, we pray and we ask and we seek and we wait and we stand in awe when we see the miraculous breakthrough. And so these stories give us hope that, that Jesus, he offers healing to those that seek him in faith. He does. He compassionately offers his healing. So our two encounters this morning are both from the book of Mark. And you, you'll see like in the first half of Mark in general, um, the, 
the gospel writer Mark is demonstrating Jesus' authority over sickness, his authority over nature and the laws of nature, his authority over the demonic realm. Um, and so he's illustrating this, this power of Jesus over these things. And he also is showing how he teaches with authority. And then he calls his disciples and says, I'm going to send you out with the same authority to go and do this work. So we're kind of sandwiching ourselves right in that first half of Mark. That's where these stories are coming from this morning. So we see a demonstration of Jesus' power this morning, which I thought our song this morning was so great to connect to the power of God and what he's going to do. So we're going to start Mark 7, 24. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. So this is such an interesting encounter. Um, what's going on here? It's kind of, it can be, kind of be baffling at times. But let's um, look at a quick map this morning. Um, on my next slide, I think I have it. Uh, Jesus, okay, so... This area shaded in green, you can see, is the Jewish region. So that's where the Jews are primarily. The, the like, sand-colored area, that is Gentile land, okay? So specifically in this story and in the, the story right after this one in Mark, this first one, he's entire, so he is in a Gentile region. He's kind of escaping to a Gentile region to find some rest. Um, and then this next story is going to be in the Decapolis region, which is down south there below. So these two stories are coming from Gentile territory. There are some remaining Jews in those areas that have resettled, but it's primarily Gentile area. Um, and so most of Jesus's ministry, most all of it was done in the green region. And it and these few times he traveled outside to the, to the Gentile regions. And so, you know, we're not exactly sure why Jesus traveled to Tyre and outside of the Jewish region. But it does say that he was trying to get some rest, right? He's trying to get away to a house where no one knows where he's at, which he finds to be an impossible thing. But he wants to get some rest, get away, 
just bring his disciples, maybe have a little retreat, right? Recoup and recover. Um, Dan and I just got back from Phoenix, Arizona this last week, where the weather was not like this. Uh, it was balmy and hot and 80s. And uh, so we were at the Vineyard National Conference, which happens um, every two years. And it's a phenomenal time. Pastors and leaders gather from all around the country. Uh, sometimes it's international, um, not this year. But we, you know, we worshiped. So much good worship and, and prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit and watching him minister to people. Um, we connected with old friends and made new ones and we were just so encouraged and refreshed and excited for the future of the Vineyard Movement. And it was a time of retreat. We actually didn't bring our children. That's the first time we've been away from our kids for that long, like together. Um, we, we just have never had that opportunity, you know. So my mother-in-law watched them. And it was wonderful time, right, of some rest and solitude and, and prayer and that is a rhythm that is shown in Jesus' life. That is something we see throughout his ministry. Um, he rises early. He seeks solitude. He seeks times of prayer. He withdraws from the crowd that, uh, that are trying to always, you know, receive from him. He gets away to receive from his father. And that is an important rhythm that he has. Um, it's like his secret sauce to doing everything else uh, in his ministry that we see in Scripture. This rhythm of um, spiritual power is received during those times of solitude and rest and prayer. He had to hear from his Father. He had to be in the presence of his Father. He followed his father's will so carefully, but he, he did it by, by being with his father and hearing from his father. And he carried out all these miraculous things, not in his power of divinity, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he really gives us a pattern of how to live our lives, of how to stay connected to the father, that what he did on earth is something that we can repeat in, in our own life and ministry of the church. We can live out the life of Jesus because he didn't give us something completely unattainable. He said, stay connected to the Father, stay connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will do the works that I have done. So anyway, so he's retreating, and he can't stay hidden, right? People find out. They find out where he's at. They find out what house he's in. Um, he couldn't keep it a secret. That's what it says. And so specifically, this Gentile woman who has heard about him, so news of him has spread through the Gentile world. And she has a little girl, the scripture says, that is possessed by a demon. And so she is one desperate mama, right? Her daughter is not well, and she is going to do whatever it takes to find healing for her little girl. I mean, parents, we all know what it feels like, right, to be a desperate parent, right? Something is wrong with your child, and 
you are going to move mountains for something to be done to heal and make your child well. We know that feeling, right? When Ellie was about, I would say, maybe nine months old, shy of a year, um, we were on a, a trip to the zoo, and we were happily walking around the zoo. Dan uh, had her on top of his shoulders, right? He's carrying her on top of his shoulders like little kids like to be. You know, she got tired of the stroller, so he's like, all right, I'll put you on my shoulders, and that made her happy, you know, watching uh, from that vantage point is quite fun as a kid, right? And we're walking, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she starts screaming. I mean, screaming. And I think, oh my gosh, like, what happened? What happened? What's wrong? You know, uh, like, no buildup, no nothing, screaming. And so I think, okay, maybe she, maybe she got bit by a bee, maybe a bee stung her, you know, take her down from your shoulders quick, Let, let's look her over, you know, so... We, we look her over like, is there a bee? No, no, okay, screaming. I think, okay, okay, what, you know, maybe it's her diaper. Maybe, maybe she needs to be changed. Let's look at her diaper. Okay, we look at her diaper. No, she's still dry screaming. And we're just like, ah, oh, okay, maybe, she, maybe it's really hot. I mean, Louisiana is hot. We're out here in the zoo. Let's take her in the shade, get her something to drink. Maybe she's hungry. I mean, she's an intense baby. Okay, sometimes it goes from like zero to 60 pretty fast. Um, didn't want anything to eat, didn't want anything to drink, like refused it, screaming. I think, okay, well, maybe it's something underneath her clothes, you know. Maybe she's gotten heat rash, or we also had fire ants, and so I'm thinking, you know, they bite in Louisiana real bad, and so I was thinking, okay, so we start undressing her, you know, thinking, like, where is the spot? Where is she hurt? What's wrong? Screaming. Won't stop screaming. And so I think, okay, you know, we've, done, we've checked her out in every way. We've got to go. We've got to take this child to the hospital because I don't know what's wrong with her. I've done everything I can. <clears throat> Nothing is working. Dan, we got to go. So we put her in the stroller, jog through the zoo, and it's one of those <clears throat> uncomfortable moments where you, think, you just see everyone looking at you like, why isn't this lady taking care of her screaming baby, you know, like... Something's wrong. You should attend to her. And so finally we, we get to the car, strap in screaming Ellie, and we're driving to the nearest urgent care, which is at least 20 minutes away because the zoo is kind of out of town. And I'm trying all my tricks, you know, put the passy in. No, doesn't want her passy. Okay, here's your fun toy. No, here, nothing. And I just think, okay, I just have to make it to the, through this car ride get to the hospital, figure out what's wrong. And so we get to urgent care, zoom in there, skip the line, skip the paperwork, just get into the room because they can see the distress that my child won't stop screaming. And we're in the room, a doctor comes in, kind of checks her over, looks at her arm, twists her arm, goes like this, calm. She stopped screaming. I thought, what, what, what did you just do? I was like, such relief, right? And they were like, oh yeah, she had nursemaid's elbow. I'm like, nursemaid's what? I never heard of such a thing. And they, they were like, yeah, nursemaid's elbow, it's a condition. Some kids are more prone to it. 
where you know their ligaments are a little bit sensitive and even just the slightest pull of the arm can dislocate the elbow. And then it's, it's considerably painful until it's just popped back into place. And I thought, well, gosh, <laughs> that was such a relief, you know? Um, because it, it was a nightmare to just listen to her scream. And, you know, so what we realized is when Dan was holding her up here on his shoulders, you know, he had barely held on to her arms at times to steady her. And boop, it just pulled it right out. Now, it's happened a few times since then because she's sensitive to it. You know, like even when kids are kind of doing this, you're like, oh, don't do that. And it's happened a few other times. And by now, Dan watches YouTube videos and he just does the little poppy elbow thing and it's fixed, you know. But it's quite distressing until it's fixed. She, she is not comfortable. And I, I mean, I can't even imagine, right? Um, so... Jesus, he's interacting with this desperate mama, right? She's desperate. You know, her little girl is possessed by a demon. She might be screaming at home. She's disturbed. She's unsettled. Whatever is going on, it's desperate. This mama needs her daughter to be calm again, to just be at peace and rest. And she knows that she is outside of the faith tradition of Jesus. She's born a Greek, which makes her a Gentile. She is not a Jew. A Gentile is a, a non-Jewish person. But she is still willing to give everything. And so she falls at Jesus' feet, begging for his mercy, begging for his help and healing of her daughter. And, and then he responds with kind of this puzzling answer about children. It's, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It's not right to take food from the, Jew, from the children and throw it to the dogs. It's like, what? What does that mean, Jesus? That's kind of confusing. So, you know, in, in Jewish Palestine, the dogs were regarded as scavengers. You know, they would look for leftover food, right? Any, any scraps or leftover food you might throw out and they go eat them. But actually, in, in Greek-influenced uh, households where she was from, they actually sometimes took dogs as pets. And so it would be common for her or other households to have a dog as a pet. Um, and so Jesus is kind of, as a wise teacher, interacting with her in that kind of rabbi talk that we're not really so used to, right? We just kind of say it how it is, right? Um, but he's kind of giving her this illustration <clears throat> that uh, the children have to be fed before the pets. I mean, that's just like common household practice, right? You feel, feed your children, and then what might be fall, on the fall under the table or be left over, sure, the pets can come and and eat from. And he's saying that the Jewish people are his children. They're his first priority. Um, and therefore, they had first claim. And he's giving this woman a metaphor with also an opportunity to respond in faith. He's kind of leaving it open-ended for her response. What's her response going to be? He's not shutting her down or... Um, 
or being mean or any, in any way. But essentially, he's saying, like, you know, in her time and in her place, there were a lot of um, pagan healers, you know, people that would just go around and, and heal kind of in a, uh, a magician kind of way, right? Um, a witchcraft kind of way. And he's saying, like, no, uh, if my healing is going to come out of faith in the one true God, that's what's going to make my healing above and beyond with all these other different avenues that are, um, are evil. Jesus, Jesus' power can't be manipulated for personal gain, right? His power is going to come through faith in him as the one true God, submission to him. And so this woman responds by demonstrating faith. She, she agrees that the Jewish people have priority. She knows she's outside of the, the Jewish people and the faith tradition. But she protests that even the, the dogs get to eat the leftovers. And so she indicates, like, even the smallest crumb Jesus is powerful enough to heal my daughter. And, and she acknowledges Jesus's power and authority by this kind of back and forth interaction. And I mean, at this stage, Jesus's mission, it is focused on the Jewish people. That was the people he came to save and rescue. But these stories where the Gentile believers are, are thrown in the mix, it, it is a foretaste of what's going to happen, what's coming next, that Jesus' Jesus's power and authority is coming for the whole world. But his specific mission was for the Jews. But after his death and resurrection, the dividing wall was split, and the gospel was coming to the whole world. And that's what the disciples go out and do after his death and resurrection. So there is a foretaste of it's, you know, this message is coming for the whole world. But this woman at this place and time is bold enough to come to Jesus, knowing she's outside of God's covenant people, the Jews, and still seek him boldly for what she needed. She threw herself at the mercy and compassion of Jesus. She knew that was the only way she could get the healing she desperately needed. And Jesus, he's impressed by her faithful answer. He says, good answer. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And in an instant, there was peace upon her daughter. The kingdom of God came, on that, came in that very moment on that woman's daughter. And when she returned, the child was at peace. Now this story, I mean, it gives me great hope that um, there are times and places where we find ourselves uh, very, you know, undeserving of God's grace and mercy. And we find ourselves far away from God's grace and mercy. We find ourselves stuck in places in our own hearts and in our own brokenness. And we just think, I don't know how to get out of this darkness. But the gospel of Jesus and Jesus himself goes to every corner of the world to find us. There's no place that we can be far enough away from God that his healing and his wholeness doesn't come to. 
His light can come anywhere. And when we, when we turn to him and we fall at his feet and we say, Jesus, we need you, man, he just embraces us right in. He desires our, our heart of faith and his mercy and grace are just abundant. And they pour out. And, you know, if you've been following Jesus for a little while or for a long while, we all find ourselves stuck sometimes, right? We're stuck by our own unhealthy habits. We're stuck by our own sin. We're stuck by our own suffering and brokenness that we experience in this world. And sometimes we get stuck easily or unexpectedly, right? But we can turn to Jesus in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our desperation, and he will extend his healing to us. He compassionately offers his healing when we seek him. Our second story this morning is just right after this one. Starting in verse 31, it says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. So now he's kind of in the map. He kind of made a loop and back down to that Decapolis area. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. And Jesus led him away from the crowds so that they could be alone. And he put his fingers into the man's ear, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. And instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. And Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. So it's, it's like another story where the faith of someone else participates in the healing. Faith really is an element in healing. Sometimes it's the faith of other peoples and the, or the faith of the receiver or even the faith of Jesus. There's some element of faith going on in here. So imagine um, with me, like, Jesus is coming to central Illinois, right? Like, he's, we, he's coming to our area. We're a Gentile area, so he doesn't really come out here very much, but he's coming, And the last time he came, um, he healed that one person, that one crazy person that we all know. We, We all go to, you know, when we go to shop at a certain area, that one person's always on that corner. And, you know, um, not only it has that person uh, is... is begging for money or asking for food. But every time we pass that corner, they're crazy too, man. They're like yelling. They've been shouting. They, they seem mentally disturbed. 
it's a, it's a whole situation over there. And so sometimes you kind of avoid it or go on another entrance because you know that that, that person is just always there. And, and you, you may, maybe you feel bad, maybe you've given them money, um, but the, the, the situation just feels so desperate, right? That, that person has been mentally sick for so long and physically sick. And the last time that Jesus came, he healed that person. Complete, complete change. This person went from not living in their right mind to now living at peace. And so everyone's heard about that healing. That was the last time Jesus came. So now Jesus is coming again. And, you know, you didn't get to see that situation, but you heard about it. And so, you know, Jesus is coming to town and you think, well, I don't know how long he's going to be here because this is not the normal place he hangs out, but I want to see what he's up to when he comes to central Illinois. I want to I see him. I want to see what he's going to do this time. And you start thinking, okay, all right, should I bring some friends? Maybe I can go tell my buddies and, and get them to go see Jesus with me. Oh, we have that. There's that one, one guy that, that comes around sometimes. I, I think... I think he's been deaf for as long as I've known he's had that accident. And, you know, I, I know that um, since he's been deaf, he's also, like, not been able to talk because those things have interacted. And we should bring him to Jesus. Maybe Jesus would do something for him. And so you tell your, your friends, and they say, yeah, okay, let's, let's go get him. Let's bring him. Let's bring him to Jesus. Like, there's ho- that. He did it with that guy. I mean, of course, he could do it with our friend. And so they, they get his friend, this friend that's deaf, and they, they gesture and try to communicate to him that they want to bring him to Jesus. And, and the friend, you know, okay, acknowledges, like, that I can do that. And so they bring him desperately to Jesus. Now, in reality... This region um, where, where Jesus is, the Decapolis region, was the same region that Dan preached several weeks ago about the man in the tombs, the crazy man that lived in the cemetery. This was the last time Jesus was there, and he healed the crazy man that lived among the tombs. And so word had spread that this is what Jesus did the last time he was in this region. And so these friends bring their um, friend to Jesus, desperate and, and eager for him to heal. And so Jesus receives them with compassion. He sees their eagerness of faith. And so he leads this man away from the crowds. Which, again, Jesus isn't simply just a miracle man. He, just is, he isn't here to just make a spectacle of healings, right? He takes this man one-on-one away from the crowds, away from the hype and all the pressure of what the people want him to do, and he takes this man aside and just one-on-one interacts with him so tenderly, so lovingly. So kind of Jesus to do that. And so 
I mean, it, said, it seems like he does some weird things, you know, putting his fingers into the man's ears and then spitting on his own fingers and touching the man's tongue. But I think he's kind of miming and interacting with this deaf man of like explaining the, the miracle that he, he wants to give this man, you know. So he's, he's telling him how his, the blockage that's been in his ears, he's kind of communicating that. He's like, I want to release that. You know, he, he can't hear Jesus. So he's, he's interacting with him in a way that he can understand. And then, you know, he's kind of anointing his tongue with his own saliva, like, I'm going to release this speech impediment. I'm going to release your tongue to speak. And so he's, he's kind of acting it out, which is very kind of Jesus, very kind of Jesus. And then he prays, he looks up to heaven and groans and, and commands his ears and his tongue to be open. And instantly, the man can hear perfectly. And instantly, the man's tongue is released. And he can speak perfectly. Now he can hear Jesus with his own ears, this interaction with Jesus. He can hear him. He can talk to him. He can thank him. He can praise him. He can shout for joy now and declare what has been freed for him all these years. And everyone was astounded. And Jesus says, don't tell people, keep it quiet. And again, does it work? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. People are excited. Everything he does is wonderful. He makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. You know, I think, it's, I think Jesus is trying to, to not jeopardize his mission too soon. You know, he doesn't want the word to spread and the authorities to get him and people to get angry and the whole, the whole thing that's coming. He's like, let's just buy some time, right? But it doesn't work, right? And can't contain themselves. Jesus is extending healing to those that seek him, to those that have faith in him, even the faith of other people, the faith of that mom, the desperate mom, the faith of these friends. And Jesus is fulfilling the mission that he came here to fulfill. And I think they're so amazed because they know of that ancient prophecy in Isaiah. They've known it forever. And Jesus himself says, quotes it in Luke 4.18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. That was Jesus's mission, and it's happening now in time and space in this region. And that is just bringing uh, an excitement a momentum amongst people that God's kingdom is coming. And this is the Messiah. Jesus' heart is close to the brokenhearted. He's, his heart is close to those that are oppressed. His heart is close to the poor, close to those that are captive by sin and suffering. 
And he is good news because he is restoring and redeeming all things. And he is bringing life to people. He's restoring their relationships. He's restoring their status in society. He's restoring their health. He's restoring their hearts, their identity. God is bringing about his rule and reign for everyone. He's replacing sin and brokenness with life. And in, in both of these stories, I'm challenged to think how we can carry others to the feet of Jesus. You and I can carry other people to the feet of Jesus to receive from him. This mission that Jesus came here on earth to fulfill is now our mission. He sends us out with the same power and authority to proclaim his good news to the poor, to set people, to set captives free, to pray for sickness and see people healed. He gives us the same mission. We can carry other people to the feet of Jesus. How are we doing that? How are you doing that? How are you seeking the well-being of others in the kingdom of God? Just the other day, um, one of my neighbors was, uh, we, after we came home from the bus stop, was sharing about a situation to me, and she was visibly filled with anxiety over the situation. And I was prompted to pray for her, and I didn't. Guys, I didn't. I thought, oh, i got to get back to my breakfast and my coffee. <laughs> temporal things. I thought, oh, I don't know. I, I know she knows what I do, but it might be weird. She might think I'm weird. And, and now it's like, oh, God, just give me another opportunity. <laughs> Please. I know. I know. That was such an opportunity. But sometimes we miss it, guys. Sometimes we don't obey. There's a paradox of like, these people couldn't stay quiet for the story that God did, the encounter that God did in their lives. And sometimes we won't open up our mouths, right? Because we're just too comfortable. We just want to get back to our coffee. Feels better than taking a risk and praying for somebody. But, you know, when you ask, like, hey, can I pray for you about that, that, what you're feeling, what you're struggling with right now? People don't say no. People are so receptive to receive. They are so receptive, and they need it, because who else is going to offer if it isn't us? So Jesus' mission is for us today, for us to continue the healing acts of Jesus, praying for people sharing his good news. And as we pray for people, it opens up opportunities to share good news. But you know what? It's a challenge for us to do the work, to obey Jesus and do the work. So my one practical tip for you this week, just one for me as well, who can you pray for this week? 
who can you carry to the feet of Jesus? And pray that God would give you an actual opportunity. And then muster up the courage to do it. And pray for somebody. So um, we're going to move into our time of worship. And after worship, um, we're going to get an opportunity to practice praying for our own people. And that's where we start. That's where we, you know, um, there isn't like some kind of uh, magic way of praying that makes things happen, right? There's no like, <clears throat> there's no formula, right? But there is a stirring up of faith in our community, a stirring up of faith and obedience in our spiritual muscles to do it. And so, you know, let's, let's press into God as we worship and as we go about this, this week. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.